Uh, my question to you, who, as you're making your way up the mountain, who is your guide when it comes to finances? Is that you? Is it your business partner? Is it your accountant, your lawyer, somebody else? Is there a resource you keep going back to in terms of educating yourself and knowing what's what? Well, that's a question uh, we're going to come to. So, our next session is all on this subject, particularly around scenario planning. Good to have options, but frankly, planning too many scenarios could be a bit exhausting. That's what our next session is all about, the subject of finance and great planning. Well, you're watching Elite Business Live, and this is our brilliant session on knowing your numbers, basically, or in the words of our next guest, owning your numbers, because this is somebody who believes in giving you the tools to know more about where you want to go. So Kieran O'Donnell wears a couple of different hats. He set up Own Your Numbers to reach many more people. But interestingly, his main business takes a slightly different look at finance, the virtual FD. What about getting the smarts on board that maybe you couldn't afford full time? Is there a different way? That's the question we're going to be asking our next speaker. So why don't we welcome him now to the elite business stage, Kieran O'Donnell. Hi, greetings and welcome. How are you? Great to meet you too. I'm good, thank you. Oh, I'm, I'm going to literally be making notes in this session, so good. let's waste no time. Um, please meet the Elite Business Live audience who are looking straight at you. But over to you, Kieran, and we'll have a bit of a chat afterwards. Thanks very much. Bye. Cheers. Good afternoon, everyone. Every business dream comes with business reality. As a business leader, you want your business to be a success. For that to happen, you need to ensure you're in control of your numbers as your business grows. The problem is, unless you're in control of your numbers, financial stresses will put your success and maybe even your business at risk. A quick question for you. What's the number one reason why businesses fail? Well, more often than not, we see cash flow or running out of cash at the top of the list. Now, businesses fail for a whole host of reasons, not enough sales or income, and COVID has been a huge impact for so many. But other reasons can include not able to get a profit out of your product or service. Maybe the marketing wasn't good enough. Maybe the business was too early for the market. Maybe the technology just doesn't work. Maybe the business couldn't or didn't pivot in time. So there's a whole host of reasons. The running out of cash or cash flow is merely just the end point. It's not always the real reason. Now, there's many pos yeah, positives. There's many lessons or learnings in a business failure. But it does seem a bit of a tragedy when a business fails purely because of cash flow when it's got so many other things right. My name's Kieran O'Donnell, as Ali said. I'm a uh, consulting or freelance finance director for early stage companies. I founded my business, The Virtual FD, in 2010. And since then, I've worked with over 60 startups across a number of sectors. My 
work has been recognised by my industry peers, and I was named CFO FD of the Year at the 2019 British Accountancy Awards. Now, if you haven't heard of the British Accountancy Awards, I like to describe the Oscars as the British Accountancy Awards for the movie industry. Exactly. Now, I specialise and enjoy working with CEOs whose businesses are growing rapidly, so they need some finance director level expertise. They're just not ready for a full-time finance director. This inspired me to create Own Your Numbers to help more and more CEOs with our financial scorecards. So I'm now on a mission to help 1,000 CEOs make their business a success. Now today I would like to just share with you three simple ways that I believe can make you an even better business leader. Number one, alarms. Now the CEOs I work with aren't shy to take action. You know, if they know something or it's on their to-do list, they'll tend to do something about it. But that's only possible with the knowns. What about the unknowns? Well, the unknowns need alarms because if something does go wrong, you're going to find out too late. So, for example, if you know your business is going to run out or short of money in 28 days' time, you've got 28 days to do something about it. But finding out in the day itself is going to be very stressful and very disruptive. Back in 2010, I was just starting out as a virtual FD and I was on a packed silent tube in London, if you can remember those, and my phone rang. And it was a client, it wasn't the right place to have a call, so I rejected it. He called back a second time, and I was 12 minutes from my stop, so I rejected it. He called back a third time, so I took the call. Now, he had a cash flow squeeze, quite a big one. Two clients hadn't paid, and he didn't have enough money in the bank to run his payroll. Now, it was a bit frustrating because we didn't have a confirmed payment date from either of them. And um, yeah, something could have been done in advance. So we managed our way out of this particular squeeze and I then created a 45-day rolling cash flow tracker just to ensure that this would not happen again. And if something did happen, we would have due notice to do something about it. I have a very simple rule for CEOs, and that is never trust a P&L without a clean and complete balance sheet. Because if your balance sheet's not clean and correct and complete, you're looking at an incorrect P&L, probably a misleading one. Now, your balance sheet is also, don't mean to get too technical here, but your balance sheet is also the starting of every cash flow forecast. So um, it's important your balance sheet is kept up to date because for most businesses, can I get some water? For most businesses, um, the next 30 to 45 days of their cash flow is sitting on their balance sheet. so much better. 
Now, there is a beautiful similarity between cash flow forecasting and skydiving. I know both of these are just so well known for their adrenaline rushes. I did a skydive on my honeymoon in um, 2007 in Namibia. Now, anyone who's been to Namibia and the Skeleton Coast will know it's a spectacular part of the world where the, the desert rolls into the ocean. Um, amazing place for a skydive. Now, much like a keynote, I was a bit not well. I was a bit apprehensive of doing a skydive, the whole jumping out of a plane. And as we got closer to doing the skydive, I was playing over and over in my head just different scenarios. What's it going to feel leaving a plane? What's it going to feel falling? This whole sensation and the ground rushing towards you. And as we got closer to the day itself, this apprehension was just growing. On the day of the skydive, we got picked up from our hotel. And the chap who was driving us to the jump site said that the most dangerous part of the day was his driving. And I'm like, dude, can you just quit the jokes? And the instructor, the opening line of his instruction was, the biggest risk of skydiving is becoming addicted to skydiving. Now, the briefing that we then received, everything became so clear. What was going to happen, getting in the plane, putting the kit on, meeting our jump partner, and um, you know, how to leave a plane, put your arms in, just look up, the decisions made for you, and mainly just look forward to it. So when it came to getting in the plane, we were, you know, I was a bit nervous, but I was more looking forward to the whole experience. Now, when we actually did, wound our way up to 10,000 feet, one second. We went away up to 10,000 feet and the doors open. The two first two guys out of the plane jumping singly dropped like a stone. I was like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And it played out exactly as the instruction. You know, sit on the edge, put your arms in, look up, you're gone, you're straight into a free fall position. And it was such a thrilling experience. You would get back on the plane and go and do it again. Now with cash flow, over the past 12 years, I've had many CEOs tell me they don't sleep at night because they're stressed about their cash flow. They're thinking in their head, what's in the bank, what's coming in, what's going out, and also just running different scenarios to try and understand timing-wise, how is this going to play out? With the right cash flow forecasting tool, they actually get some certainty as to what's going on. They can see by day what is actually happening, and if something does go wrong, they've got due notice to do something about it. Here's me doing a skydive, just to give you some evidence. And I did say there was equal adrenaline rush. Here's, here's a cash flow tracker, which made one CEO sleep at night. Number two, what's the next step? Now, the CEOs I work with come from a mix of backgrounds. Sales, product, brand, dev, tech, or just years of experience in a particular sector. And they all have their comfort zone. I do, you do. Mine is my inbox and Excel. I've become mildly obsessed with making sure that my comfort zone is where I get things done. So my inbox is my to-do list. It helps me achieve, you know, what's the next step? Such a simple question just to make sure something gets done by me or someone else. 
it also makes sure that um, sometimes the next step is outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes the next step is too daunting and therefore just needs to be broken down and simplified. In 2004, I traveled to Argentina to climb the highest mountain in the world in the Western Hemisphere, Aconcagua. And on the 30-mile walk up to base camp, after around 20 miles, you take a corner turn in the valley and you see the mountain for the first time. Now, I can't describe just how high up in the sky it was. It was just a truly awesome but also daunting sight. It was around 30 degrees in the valley in the sun and it was probably minus 15 and high winds on the summit. Now, as daunting a sight as that was, our guide was quick to remind us that the summit wasn't the next step. The summit was still 10 to 12 days away. So the next step for us was just getting ourselves to base camp and we'd have a rest day. And then the day after we'd move our food and fuel to camp one. And as you can see on the slide, we had a series of camps marked up the mountain. So some days were very tiring, but the next step felt doable. The summit only became the next step when we were immediately below the summit. And I can still to this day rem you know, remember just allowing myself to say the words, I can't believe it, we're going to make the summit. Here's us on the summit of Aconcagua. There was nine of us and our three guides. Now the mountaineers amongst you will, will flag the summit is only halfway. So the next step was to get ourselves safely down off the summit. And over the next four days, wind our way back down the valley to the road. Then the next step was to have a shower and a glass of Argentinian wine and a steak and put some weight back on. Are you familiar with the do and plan spectrum? At one end we've got doers and at the other end we've got planners. Doers do, planners plan. We're all on this spectrum and some of us, most of us, will have a leaning towards one end. So it's quite important to know where you think you sit on it. So if you are a planner, it's worth reflecting the need to do something. And the doers, you know, planning sometimes feels like a bit of a pointless exercise, but you should see the need and the value to have one. I'll give you a great example. A startup I worked with recruited a new sales chap. I'd classify him as an extreme doer. He had great energy, so positive. He was straight out the door, literally, and selling. We hadn't finalized our launch proposition and he was out pitching to clients. He came back to the office with a deal for heads of terms worth £150,000 of revenue. Now, for an early stage company, this created a huge buzz, but we had to backtrack to work out what he had sold versus the launch proposition, which still wasn't even finalized. So what are you, a doer or a planner? And what steps do you take to counterbalance this? Me. I'm a planner, my DNA is planning. I would always joke that I would plan to be spontaneous. Um, but I've surrounded myself with CEOs for the past 12 years that I would call as doers, which has been a huge and positive influence on me. Number three, advisors. They have got quite a mention over the past day and a half. Now, I've already mentioned to you that I jumped out of a plane with a qualified instructor, and I'm here to tell the story. 
and also in Aconcagua, although it was on us to get ourselves to the summit and look after our physical well-being, our guides were instrumental in making decisions that made that possible. So, for example, we were going from Camp 1 to Camp 2. We were an hour short of Camp 2 and we got caught in a snowstorm. So we had a decision to make, that our guides had a decision to make. Do we continue up to the cull, put our tents up in the snowstorm and also be very tired from the ascent? Or do we turn around, go all the way back down to Camp 1 and put our tents up in the storm, but we'll have more air in our lungs? Now, our guides decided to come back down. It's a bit deflating, but it was the right decision to make. And over the course of the two weeks that we were on the mountain with them, their guiding and experience and knowledge sharing was one of the main reasons that we all made the summit. Now, running your own business can be tough. I know that. You don't have it easy because you've got a lot of decisions to make. So as well as your expertise, it's likely that you will need to ask others for advice and opinion. Problem is, an opinion is just a view or judgment, so whose opinion do you take? I was once in a restaurant in Franchuk, another amazing part of the world. It's a wine valley just outside of Cape Town. And I was having dinner with my wife's extended family, including uh, my wife's aunt, who's worked in the wine industry for years. Fair to say, she is an expert on wine. She had tried a wine, she said it was corked, so she asked the waiter to bring, a, bring another bottle. A couple of minutes later, the manager came over to say, in his opinion, the wine wasn't corked. Now, I can remember Sue saying in a very clear and authoritative voice, this isn't my opinion, it is. So, some businesses have structured boards and advisory boards. Other CEOs and business owners have their mentors and trusted advisors. So whether you have something structured in place or not, it's worth ensuring that you know, discussion and brainstorming is all very fresh and healthy. But when it comes to advice, thoroughly recommend you take from someone experienced and qualified. So a quick recap. Number one, have alarms in place, especially when it comes to cash flow. Number two, Make sure the next steps are doable, whether that's by you or someone on your team. And number three, take counsel from experienced advisors. Now, we have a short Q&A in a second, um, which I'm really looking forward to. If you've got any questions, pl please do send them in. Um, I'd like to finish with the following, and if there's one thing I'd really like you to remember, it's this. As a business owner, you are ultimately responsible for ensuring your business and your personal finances are in good shape at every stage of your journey. If you're not in control of your numbers or you allow them to take a back seat, financial stresses will fill your headspace and put your business and success at risk. You can start to own your numbers today and you can discover your flash score for free at ownyournumbers.com. Thank you. Fantastic. Kieran, thank you. That was excellent. And I actually was taking a lot of notes. That was great. Where, um, forgive me if you said it, Kieran, where did you do that skydive? Because that was making my heart beat. In Swakamund in Namibia. Was it? Yeah. Would you do it again? Totally. I wasn't lying. So, so the thing that's got me wondering about you, Kieran, is how would you describe your own attitude to risk? Uh, I think for a long time I was risk averse. I spent 12 years in the corporate space. Yeah. 
but I was working with Carphone Warehouse that was very entrepreneurial beginnings, Hutchinson Wan Poet that owns three, very yeah. entrepreneurial. Yeah. And something seeded with me to say, I want to spend the next 25 years of my working life surrounded by remarkable people. Mm. It's quite an infectious bunch. You work, I'm still quite risk central, I would say. Yeah. I'm not nowhere near where the people I work with are. So there's a healthy balance, mm. but I'm nowhere near Mr. Corporate I was maybe 12 years ago. And how, how do you feel though about us embracing a risk-taking FD? For some people that might strike fear into their hearts. Oh, I think my clients would say, I'm the stable one in the room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think counterbalance is important. So, yeah. I mean, I've got a client, was, he, he literally wants to know how much can I spend on marketing yeah. and he'll have his measure and I'll have my measure. And it's not as if we, we clash, but we definitely have a way where we have to convince each other it's the right thing to do. So, so, so just take us briefly just inside this relationship. It's quite a new concept, uh, certainly for me, this idea of a virtual FD. Just help us set expectation. You know, are you, are you on a hotline? Are we checking in? Give us an example. Well, if you ask my wife, she'll probably think I'm, I'm interrupted too often. Always on. <laughs> but I think the idea really is, is that you're a full-time FD. You're only just working with people, you know, between two and four days a month. I see. So, 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 so in practice, they could call you at any time. Yeah. And no business, no business is linear, especially with COVID. I think everyone's quite used to the non-linear way of working. Mm. So, yeah, we've got kind of a set structure of things we want to do. Yeah. The key thing is the FD has to add value, can't just be a cost. Right. And so for somebody at home, um, Kieran, they might be wondering question that's come up a couple of times today, actually, around transparency, because sometimes the numbers remain a closely kept secret between the FD, perhaps, and the CEO, uh, sometimes concentric circles. Right. What are your thoughts on transparency with the whole organisation about how you're performing financially? Well, I think there's a definitely a, a layering between what is specific to the, the leadership. Yeah. Like, I would say, if you shared too much information with the whole business, if it was misunderstood or misconstrued, it might send people a bit nervous. Yeah. Startups probably have cash flow that is skirting quite close to the floor. Exactly. Might make employees feel nervous, whereas the leadership and investors are all very comfortable. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so, I, uh, so I can see... However, sort of sales information and how well we're doing has to be something that feeds out to the whole business. No, interesting. And so as we, um, as, as we go through March now, um, how, how are you feeling about the next few months? Well... I mean, I've got clients that have been on ice for 15 months. Um, I've got clients that have been uninterrupted other than people have been asked to work from home. Huh. So it's, it's such a diverse place. I think there's a, lot more, um, there's a lot more knowledge sharing going on. Mm. That, you know, there's not just you know, grants and safeguards, and, but there's a lot more a wrap around the business from an advisory point of view to help people don't try and figure this all out on your own if someone else can help you unplug or unblock something in your head. Right, so this is something, um, and I'm sort of, I guess we're speaking directly now, aren't we, to somebody tuning in, because something that I've been thinking about a lot is, to give a silly analogy, when it comes to the human body, you know, I choose to place my faith in my doctors, my consultants, my advisors, to an extent I might self-educate, but there's a line, say, how does our guest tread that line? Well. I mean, early stage companies can't afford a full-time finance director. There's a middle ground as to where you can get part-time advisory input from either someone like me or a chairman or yeah. an investor. So th 
the advice comes in all many different shapes and sizes. Mm. I think the key thing is trying to find, you know, where are the gaps in your own understanding and then what gaps you need to fill. Yeah, well, I want to unpack this a bit more on the panel. Um, just to get a bit more specific, though, you talked, and forgive the ignorance in the question, about a clean and complete balance sheet. Just say a bit more about what you mean by that. Well, I'm very aware that business owners are fixated on the P&L, you know, income, costs and profit. And it can, the balance sheet can become a dumping ground for lazy accounting. Mm. So sometimes, for example, if you just want total confidence that that is the income, mm. that is the costs, and there's nothing just being buried on the balance sheet, it's quite worth ensuring. You don't have, you don't, the business owner doesn't have to become the accountant. Right. They can ask the accountant, is that right? Yeah, good. Well, you'll be pleased to hear, actually, one of our guests on the panel next specialises in getting the accountants up to speed on what's available out there. Again, back to the sort of Sherpa analogy. Just remind us, though, Kieran, on Own Your Numbers, that was something I think that you wanted to do, it seems like, to reach even more people. But well, what's driving that, do you think, for you? Well, I mean, for me personally, I've, I've been less interested in expanding a practice of FDs because huh. I enjoy working with business owners. But over the past 12 years, working with social media gaming companies and other kind of tech opportunities, I've just kind of thought CEOs are a great bunch to gamify. Mm. So it wouldn't be fantastic if I find a way to plug into their business, pull data out of their business and then just score them. In so different that's ways. interesting. So, so hang on, this is drawing on our competitive streak here. So, yeah, give us a, totally. so give us an example. How does it work? Well, I mean, like I've got some CEOs who as a journey have scored very badly because they just don't know. And then as you fill in the gaps, as they get better at, you know, better accounts quicker, yeah. better insights quicker, stuff's filed quicker, uh -huh. you score more points. <laughs> and what does the winner get apart from the glory, the pride? Well, in, in reality, it's like, I mean, my longer term vision really is that investors should come to a business owner and say, do you own your numbers? Show us your numbers. How do you yeah. score? Yeah, yeah. So like a credit rating just tells you you can borrow more money. Yeah. It's not a great credit, you know, it's not a great metric to say, are you in good financial health? Yeah. It just means you can borrow. Good. And I think there's a gap there for investors to say, actually, should I make sure my CEO owns their numbers and rather than kind of beat them up on stuff, help educate them because we want the business owner to succeed. It seems far more, as I've said once before today, it seems far more akin to a, a Fitbit or, you know, just having a finger on the pulse of your own finances, whereas years ago we would have gone to a dusty file and once a month. And I suppose what we're trying to bridge is you've got a business score because your business finances. Yeah. You've also got a personal score yeah. because sometimes the two have to breathe. You take too much money out, business fails. Don't pay yourself enough. Yeah. There's many textbooks being written about business owners who've run it and never paid themselves. Right, so this is the question, as we've got all this uncertainty still swirling. So will you stay with us, Kieran? Yes. Excellent. That's Thank Kieran O'Donnell.